0: Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you haven't yet, follow me on Instagram at HRTracy so we can stay connected beyond the podcast. I'm so excited to speak with you today. I'm going to give you an episode that is super focused on some of the like specific operative elements of HR and really just completely focused on investigations and how we can fairly and thoroughly Conduct an investigation if you are an HR leader and involved in managing employee relations. If you are not an HR leader, keep listening because this can help you too. Um, there are so many examples of times that I've brought like a manager in to um, an investigation conversation and it's really helped them. And it, it kind of gives you an arsenal of tools when you are not an HR leader for what is to come next, how to conduct yourself or you know, engage with another person in the investigation when an investigation is ongoing. And I think it's just good to be in the know on what happens when someone has formally reported or maybe informally reported that something has gone on in the workplace, or when you, your as as a manager or a leader in an organization have reported something or have witnessed something and you've partnered with your HR partners. So whether you work in HR or whether you are not in HR and you're a people manager, just stay tuned because I think that this episode will help you as well. Before getting into this week's episode, I want to remind you that there are a ton of resources in the show notes. So if you're listening on Spotify, you have to click in to see the details of the episode everywhere else, like Apple Podcasts and Amazon, Google, Anchor, anywhere you're listening, all of those other places kind of show you the details already. So I want to remind you of this because I have a ton of links that I usually share there. um, And I think it could be helpful, especially when I am sharing um, specific resources on an episode, but also um, different sources of information. So anytime I've said I'm going to provide you a link, it's always in the show notes in the episode details. Um, I also want to mention that I did receive a few questions from um, different people through DMs and actually someone um, just personally asked me this because I know them in real life. Um, And I wanted to get to these questions first before getting into the quote-unquote meat and potatoes of the episode. So the first question that I got was how do you make an adjustment into a new workplace? Because they asked me this because I'm doing it now. I've been with my new company for about three weeks at this point, by the time this episode is out. Um, And so they asked me, like, how do you adjust? Because I'm about to make that adjustment and I'm scared. I don't know what to do. How do I walk in? What if I don't like it? And my answer was pretty much like, well, just recognize that it's an adjustment because it's an adjustment for me too. Just because... I'm who I am, or I'm in HR, or I have a podcast, and I can speak about these things, or I speak openly about things, doesn't mean that I don't also go through an adjustment period. I mean, I definitely am. I definitely do. Workplaces are different. Cultures are different. People are different. And what I said to this person was basically like, give it a chance. Don't jump to conclusions too quickly. And also the key to making the adjustment, I think, and I think I said this last week, is to really go into a new place willing to absorb information, observe, and ask questions. Your first like few weeks, your first month, is really an opportunity for you to just take it all in versus to make changes and updates unless you have been specifically brought on to make immediate changes, which I certainly have in the past. Um, have I've needed to kind of come in right away, hit the ground running, and make actual changes and implement strategies that didn't previously exist so um not only getting the buy-in is so important and again like walking in observing not necessarily making changes so fast but also letting your you know being yourself letting yourself be who you are and not being afraid to kind of you know share a personal story or let someone get to know you and to have those you know more impactful conversations even if it means you're working later or starting earlier or you know whatever that looks like I think that those types of moments where you can really get to know people and where they can really get to know you is going to make all the difference I know for me being so focused on establishing really strong relationships anywhere I go that is always a really important part of my strategy and has been in my current role as well um and I think what else did I say to this person? I think I also had mentioned that you know it's okay if you don't like it, and nothing is permanent. Things are things can be as temporary as you want them to be, even though uh, you know the Great Resignation is among us, and we we don't want it. We don't we don't want the turnover, right? Especially not immediately. But at the end of the day, if you really don't like it, there's probably something else out there. Um, just be mindful that you could could I don't want to say necessarily burn a bridge but you could strain the relationship in the future if you don't give this you know opportunity that you might be afraid of or might not like immediately a strong chance so my advice to this person was to really just take a deep breath take a take a seat back or back seat if you will and just like observe and see what's going on get to know people authentically let them get to know you authentically and then you know Ultimately review your experience, but not, I would say wait like three to six months because if you really don't like it by then, you're probably not going to enjoy much of it um, beyond that. But also don't forget, just generally, I don't know that I even said this to this person, don't forget that we all create what our experience is like. We all are responsible for the culture of an organization or an experience or a place and we, all, we create our own experiences. So if you look at things optimistically and positively and you give things a fair chance and you contribute positively to the overall picture, your likelihood of having a better experience is greater than you having a poor experience. So that was my first piece of advice. The second question that I got was specifically around um, how to know when a shift in a career is going to take you a step back or take you a step forward. So, this person is in HR and asked me about this opportunity that she potentially has to um, go into an HR adjacent, if you will, an HR adjacent role um, that really, on paper to me, seems like it sits with like the legal team um, or potentially like, you know, dotted line to HR because it's so focused on you know, employment law, compliance, and things like that. And so she asked me, like, you know, how do I know that this is not going to take me outside of HR? Because I don't want to leave HR. I want this to be a level up for me. And I asked to see the job description. I talked it through with her. And actually, my, my advice to her was, like, frame the role. If you get the job, frame the role the way that you want it to appear to be. So if it's a role that that feels like a little bit niche then you know make it make it as though like the role you're doing is a bit more broad stroke with a hyper focus on whatever that niche is and i say that because in our experiences you know we're creating our resumes every time we go to work right like we're we're establishing and we're building and we're expanding on the work experience and the life experience that we have behind us And so ahead of you, like you're you're able to look at this job, you're able to see the role for what it is in front of you, and there are going to be things that probably are different about, about it that are not included in the job description too, but everything that we do, we can see through a lens. I can see this podcast, for example, through the lens of entrepreneurship. I could also see it through the lens of HR. So depending on who I'm speaking to, I could frame this podcast in that way. It doesn't make it untrue. It doesn't make it a lie. This is a branch of entrepreneurship and this is a branch of HR. So the way that I, I don't want to say spin it because I feel like that gives it like a a sense of um, like untruth, but it really is like a matter of how you brand your experiences. Everything on your resume is your brand. No one, no one is telling you that you have to put your current job title exactly as it is, if it's specific to your organization. For example, I was uh, an executive team leader of human resources at Target. What the heck does that mean to someone outside of Target? It literally makes no sense to anyone that isn't inside of Target or, has, or anyone who has worked for Target. Um, only they will know, internal and former internal. So when I was applying to jobs, when I was leaving Target, I put HR manager in parentheses, executive team leader of human resources. And I did that because my resume is my brand, but my my brand also has to be understood by the person that is reading it, right? So you can further explain your experiences in the way that you know is going to be best received or most easily received by your audience. So it's not to say that you should fabricate what's on your resume. You should definitely not do that because it is very easy to figure out when someone's fabricated their resume. But you can um, pro- like apply a almost like a marketing scheme or marketing approach. Scheme sounds terrible. That's not what I'm trying to say. A marketing approach to your personal brand, to your resume. And that's what I said to this person, that you can market this role as being very senior because it is a very senior role, and eventually you could probably leave for a very high level um, compliance-related role or legal-related role that you will be highly qualified for. Um, but it's all about how you view the role, how you execute in your role, and how you then market your your experience. So I think that this helped her. Um, maybe stay tuned. We'll see if she goes with it, but um, or if she gets offered the role, but. Again, my, my main point in this is that I don't think that that's a step back. I don't think anything is necessarily a step back. It's all about the experience that you're looking to have. You all know if you listen to my my first few episodes I took a I took a pay cut to go to my my um, last company that I was at and I did that because I knew that eventually it was gonna pay off and it did. I promise you I assure you it did. I did not have that pay cut for long. So um, those are the two questions that I wanted to share. I'm now going to jump into the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is about leading an investigation. And the first step, whether you are a manager or an HR partner, is to assess, okay, what am I investigating? And do I need to take a partner? So if you're not in HR, you must take a partner with your HR partner or whoever is responsible for looking into you know, concerns of any kind. So if you're in a small organization and there's no HR, you're probably going to be leading this, but you still should take a partner and say, hey, just so you know, this is what's happening. This is the report that I received, the complaint that I received, or this is what I observed. And then you're going to take a partner, and if you're the HR person, you're going to lead an investigation. And in some cases, if you're not an HR person, you also will lead an investigation. So for all intents and purposes, let's say you are the one leading the investigation. You have to first assess, okay, what am I looking for and what am I trying to uncover? You're always going to try and uncover the root cause, but you're also trying to uncover whether the thing that's been reported or observed actually happened or not. And so when you first kind of approach this that, okay, I need to launch an investigation, you then also need to figure out who do I need to speak to? So let's say you've, you've partnered, it's clear you're good to go with the investigation, you're going to start. The first step is to actually speak with the person that's either reported the concern, the person that's observed the concern or the issue, and then you need to take very strong notes to understand what happened. And the questions that you want to lean into when you're asking a pl- complainant um, or a reporting party about things is to remain neutral, not provide any diagnosis of like what's happened or, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily want to give any inclination that you've made a decision on the investigation. So let's say there's a harassment investigation and there's a reporting party saying that, um, you know, another employee intimidated them or retaliated against them. Your response can be, okay, well, you know, thank you so much for letting me know. You know, we take employee concerns really seriously. I need to partner and investigate this situation. Versus... You don't want to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. I'm so sorry, because that is not a neutral response, right? You certainly can provide some empathetic approaches like, you know, I have to look into this. and I'm really sorry if this happened to you. Hence, you heard the if there, right? I'm really sorry if this happened to you. I want to look into this. We take employee concerns really seriously. And you can even express like, hey, this is not what we stand for. We want to make sure that every employee has a wonderful experience, right? So those neutral and objective phrases and comments are more than welcomed. Anything that leads another person to believe that you've made up your mind or that there's been something conclusive or inconclusive is not the approach. You cannot, you cannot proceed with that type of discussion because it just makes the investigation that much more complex, and investigations don't need any more complexity than they already have. So you've spoken with the reporting party. You've gotten their side of the story. They will probably share certain pieces of information about other people, witnesses, who the, the alleged aggressor is. All of your notes should include alleged because nothing has been proven, right? So um, it's really important that when you are you know, investigating something Any at anything or about anything, I should say, that you are remembering that nothing has been proven yet until it's been proven. So the reporting party alleges that so and so did X, Y, and Z, and so and so saw. So now you have two people potentially that you can speak to. Um, What you always want to remind every single person that you speak with in an investigation is that it's confidential and anonymous. Um, and that you do the best that you can to ensure that there is no understanding of who has reported the concern um, and that ultimately you give as few details as possible and the only individuals to be aware of or to be in the loop of the investigation are on a need-to-know basis and that if anything else comes up, they should let you know. Um, But that confidentiality piece is really important because they should not be going around and talking with others about you know what was shared or what was discussed because it complicates the investigation. So again, now you have some more names of people that you can potentially uncover some more information with. My best advice is to speak with the alleged aggressor next because this investigation is into them, right? So you don't want to be the person that is not informing the person being investigated. You have to let the person who's being investigated know that there is an investigation going on into them and in many cases you will probably have to remove them from wherever it is that they work in order to provide them a fair investigation so whether that's a paid suspension um a you know which is really like a leave of absence but temp you know it's 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 a suspension so it's not exactly it's not like their file changes so to speak but um, I have always leveraged paid suspensions for things that are very serious, like harassment investigations or um, anything like that, because removing them from the equation, removing them again, removing the alleged aggressor from the equation, um, allows them the most fair investigation possible. Because there isn't any opportunity for them to dig a bigger hole, so to speak, in the workplace. You're giving them the opportunity to be aware of the investigation and to remove themselves. Also, and to say, oh, I, I shouldn't respond to anyone. I shouldn't, you know, reach out, whatever that looks like for that person. Most people don't usually take that very well, but at the end of the day, you are doing what's best for the investigation, and it's your obligation to ensure that it's fair, consistent, and thorough. So removing the alleged aggressor, and again, when you do that with someone, with the alleged aggressor, making it very clear that you have not made any conclusive Um, discoveries in the investigation and that this is no, um, you know, formal like explanation of proof that you have, but this is rather just ensuring that there is a um, thorough and fair investigation um, done and that this is confidential. So when you speak with the alleged aggressor, you do want to make it clear on some of the details as much as you can. Um, And you have to make it clear that retaliation is not um is prohibited basically so um all of those things create like an opportunity to really dig in and you need to ask them has this ever happened have you ever done this can you recall a time when those types of open ended questions can often give you a lot more information than we probably realize the other thing is that if someone becomes very defensive or agitated in this type of conversation which is reasonable You have every right and opportunity to say, I need you to basically pull yourself together. Like I need you to collect yourself and take a deep breath because this is not appropriate. And those types of um, moments where you break and you acknowledge someone's behavior allows you to remain in control of the investigation and in control of the conversation. If you allow someone to ramble and overreact potentially or become irate, you have lost control of the investigation. Certainly, there are moments where you need to let them go off, um, but reeling it in is really important, and being fully in control of that conversation and the one that's guiding where the conversation goes is your responsibility as the investigator. Um, When you're doing an investigation with the alleged aggressor, you want to be as clear as possible, but you also don't want to give too much information into the reporting party. People often say, well, who reported this? I want to know who said this. Where is this coming from? That doesn't matter. It actually is completely irrelevant. What matters is that we're looking into their behavior, right? So that's where you can course correct and say, actually, who reported the situation is irrelevant. What is relevant is understanding your involvement in this report in this claim, in this action. Um, hopefully that helps you dealing with, when it comes to dealing with someone that can be challenging in that type of conversation. So then the reporting party has given you some names. The alleged aggressor has potentially given you some more names. Um, and now you have to continue the investigation. Make sure you're saving your notes in a place that's organized. Make sure you are organizing your notes. Um, and again, remembering to keep a neutral stance when you are conducting the investigation. So let's say you've gone through all of the witnesses, all of the people that um, you've needed to speak with, and I should preface by saying, or I should add, um, as an asterisk here, you don't always have to speak to every single person that has been name-dropped in the investigation thus far, because sometimes if you involve too many people, the investigation gets out of hand and is no longer confidential. So you have to be very mindful of that, I would say that the, like my general rule of thumb is that no more than like 10% of the total headcount should be interviewed as part of an investigation. Um, it should be a very small group of people, if possible, um, enough in order to be able to dis- determine what happened. If you are unclear as to what actually happened, then you might have to continue the investigation. But it is your responsibility to keep things as confidential as possible, anonymous as possible, and to really keep it tight and to react quickly. Investigations for me, I always attempt to have like a 48 to 72-hour turnaround time because we're talking about people's livelihood. It's a stressful experience for people, both the reporting party and the alleged aggressors in situations. So if you want to be as quick as possible... And investigations that are, like, super severe, like harassment, intimidation, retaliation, harassment meaning also sexual harassment, anything, like, physical violence, um, anything like that where people are inherently, you know, in danger or were made to feel like they were in danger, those go ahead of anything else that you're dealing with. Those are, like, drop everything, and that is your newest priority, Um, And so if you're struggling to figure out where you place certain things on your calendar, this will always take precedent to anything else that you have going on. Because it's super important that companies take an active approach at mitigating this type of risk and resolving these type of issues. And it could open your organization up for a super risk, a lot of risk, if you don't deal with something like this in a timely and immediate fashion. So let's kind of quickly circle back. Let's say you've spoken with everyone that you need to know. Now you're going to review all of your notes and determine like what you have found out. And throughout the investigation, you're probably making different conclusions and thinking one way or another, especially, you know, if you have a strong gut feeling like me, I usually can see where something is headed fairly quickly. And that's something that you develop over time in your HR career, for sure. You kind of can sense what, you know, when someone's telling you the truth, what's really going on, and so on and so forth. So let's say now you're you're ready to make a conclusive decision. This is where you need to then also take a partner again. So if you have a legal team, if you have another HR partner, you want to, you know, in summary run these things by them and say, okay, this is my recommendation. So before you go to your partner, determine what you want to take as a next step. And I say this because you are in your role because you're a competent and trusted partner, right? Don't leave it to someone else to make your decisions for you. Make your decision or make your mind up before you go into a conversation with a partner because it will make you an even more trusted and competent partner. If you go into that partnership and you say, what should I do? That person is just gonna be like, do you not know how to do your job? You can't do this, you can't do the job. This is what your job is supposed to, you know. this is what your job requires from you. So my best advice, make your mind up, even if it's the approach that you don't take, even if it's the wrong or a different approach, still make your mind up and go into your partnership and say, These are the facts. This is what I have. This is who I've spoken with. And my recommendation is to terminate or write this person up on a final warning or whatever that looks like, right? Or, um, you know, know, this is inconclusive and they're actually, this was not a, a report made in good faith. Sometimes you do see that, that reports are fabricated. Whatever your determination is, share that. And then your partner will have an opportunity to review everything that you've shared with them. And so this allows the partner to really look at things as a third party and objectively. And then you can then go ahead and you know finalize whatever the recommendation is. In most cases, I would say like the partner agrees unless there's been an issue in the investigation or something is not clear. Um, and so then you're going to execute your recommendation and finalize the investigation. And what you do is you speak with the alleged aggressor first because their employment might be impacted. You share with them the findings of your investigation, high level, like, hey, I found that the investigation um, has been concluded with a substantiated claim, meaning the initial report has been substantiated. Or, hey, I finished my investigation and I have concluded that The claim is unsubstantiated. It's unclear that this actually happened, and here are some next steps. And you can always provide some feedback. You can always provide some anecdotes on your, like, final findings. You might need to even ask a few additional questions. But at the end of the day, that is the first person that you're speaking with, the alleged aggressor. And then you will go to the initial reporting party. And you will let them know, hey, I've concluded the investigation. Thanks again for taking advantage of our open-door policy. Um, I can't share all of the details of um, you know, next steps, but I just wanted to let you know that the investigation is now concluded. In some cases, you might need to tell them that it's been substantiated. In other cases, you might not. Um, but it's always good to circle back on the initial reporting party so that they know that you really did lead a fair and thorough investigation and you took their concerns seriously. And then in certain dynamics, you will share with the other people that you've spoken with in the investigation that the investigation has been concluded. In other cases, you might not need to say anything because, for example, if someone's been terminated, they will find that out and you don't have to say anything. And also keep in mind if you are terminating someone, you should not be sharing that specifically. You can just say the investigation's been concluded and so and so is no longer with the company. Um, if someone is being held accountable through corrective action, for example, um, and is not being terminated, what you can say to the reporting party is like, hey, you know, thank you again for taking advantage of our open door policy. Just so you know, we are, um, you know, ensuring that there is accountability for these behaviors or situations and while I can't disclose the details of those next steps I want to assure you that this was taken seriously and we are you know following our policies on addressing this concern and then that is end to end how you would deal with and lead an investigation take really good notes be objective be neutral be fair and be very clear don't be afraid to be direct and ask direct questions and Give someone feedback. That is your role um, in many ways. And then finally, I mean, figure out, like especially this is what I always try to do. Reflect on the investigation. Is there something that could have prevented that from happening? What could we as a company, we as leaders have done to be proactive by avoiding these types of, or preventing these types of situations? So it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, theft or harassment or violence or anything like that, there's always a way to be proactive. And so I would encourage you to take that opportunity to reflect on what you've found and then to apply a proactive approach. So in my past, I've had many um, harassment investigations, sexual harassment investigations, retaliation investigations throughout my career, and I always... Go back and say, okay, well, what could we have done to prevent this? And then finding ways to implement structure or trainings or knowledge discussions um, where, you know, knowledge is shared, for example, to prevent, again, prevent these things from happening again. That proactivity is what is going to help you as an HR leader keep these reactive moments at bay and keep, keep things that are serious that lead to investigations at a minimum. Because it should be every single person's goal that the workplace and the culture of the workplace is positive and professional so that investigations are are minimal. When you have a lot of investigations, which I've also been in in environments where I've had a lot of investigations in my past, um, it's very, very hard to be a thought leader, to be a strategizer, um, and to be part of like the bigger picture of the organization because you're in the weeds doing these investigations into things that might be serious, might not be serious, might be substantiated, might not be substantiated. and it's it's a, a huge chunk of your time taken away from doing things that you could be you know really providing as as moments of growth for an organization as, Things that would help an organization go further in the long run, right? Like whatever projects you might work on or whatever things you might discuss with employees. So when we're dealing with things that are reactive like this, it doesn't allow us an opportunity to be strategic and to be, you know, leaders outside of like firemen at this point, like putting out fires, right? So, um, spend just as much time thinking about how you can prevent that from happening again as you did on the actual investigation, that is my best advice. If you have any questions on any of the steps that I shared with you, please don't hesitate to reach out and keep in mind also that every organization leads investigations differently, but those to me are the best practices that fundamentally you should have in your tool belt so that you can easily and fairly and neutrally address concerns. With that, I thank you so much for being here. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow me on Instagram at HRTracy, and I will see you next week.